So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's word. Thanks, Jan. Thanks for reading. Uh, evening, one and all. If we've not met, uh, my name's Matt. Uh, it be lovely to meet you uh, afterwards. As uh, Phil mentioned, uh, this is then the last Sunday uh, night. We're looking at an honest question, sort of questions that, um, you know, life throws up, really. And uh, the point of the series really is saying, yeah, life throws up these big questions. And really, the Christian answer is a much better answer. I want to argue because it's true, but uh, it's a much better answer. It makes more sense of this world, enables us to look at this world square in the face with honesty, integrity. So we come to look at this question, why are we so mean to one another? And it's a little, it's not enough really, is it, the word mean, when you look at events uh, in Paris this week. But mean is what we are. We're mean to one another, don't have to pick up a gun and shoot. Uh, Meanness uh, lies within all of us. Just take a look at this, I'm going to show a little video. Uh, This uh, was put together by a woman, M. Ford, she has a website uh, makeup advice, and uh, she realised that um, people can be quite mean. This video now has seen, I think, about 12 million hits on YouTube. So you may well have seen it. Why would you? Why would you write in to her website and write those sort of comments? Extraordinary, isn't it? Do you not find it extraordinary that people would do that? And yet the tragic thing is it isn't that extraordinary, is it? Because the website, wonderful as it is, the website, uh, the internet, wonderful as it is, uh, lots of people use it for abuse. I've very much enjoyed reading this book, uh, John Ronson. So you've been publicly shamed. Uh, he's popular psychology, but uh, comedy as well. So it's a fun read. But in it, he, he looks at the modern phenomenon of shaming people on the internet and uh, puts together quite a good case, I think. He says, really, it's, it's the modern equivalent to putting someone in the stocks. You know, in medieval times, uh, someone had done something wrong. You'd put them in the stocks and you'd throw your rotten tomatoes at them and splat them. And uh, that was entertainment. And it kind of works the same way today, that if people have done something wrong, to publicly shame the wrongdoer, we like that culturally. Or... If you're a medieval peasant and you get to put some baron in the stocks, that's brilliant. Because all of a sudden, someone who was uh, uh, way, way above you, you bring down to your level and beyond, and you splat them. And the internet allows you to do that. You can look upon the uh, the rich, the famous, 
and mock them and shame them and lambast them. So there's a woman who's made quite a lot of money, been successful, puts together her own website and lots of saddos on their computers in their bedrooms think, well, I haven't made lots of money, but I can abuse her. Yeah, that's it. I can just throw tomatoes at her and I guess that's kind of how it works. It's that sort of modern phenomenon. We like to abuse. Not all of us, of course. Not all of us are the same. But it's quite a modern sort of way of treating people. Shame. Let's shame people. Make us feel better and then feel worse. The interesting thing he observes in, in the book is that almost all the time, those who hurl the abuse think they're doing the right thing. And they're full of righteous anger. So he gives a fascinating example of uh, Hank, and, uh, and, uh, Hank and Adria. Uh, Hank is a sort of IT programmer. Uh, he's a self-confessed nerd. That's not me saying that everyone who works in that industry is. He is a self-confessed nerd. He was at a conference in California uh, with a colleague. Uh, and they were exchanging some sort of lame jokes. Uh, Look at the size of my dongle. Um, you know, waka waka, uh, crazy IT gag. Look at the size of my dongle. Anyway, the, uh, the woman, Adria Richards, didn't like it. She thought that was very sexist in a room, which is kind of 90% male. So she stood up, took a photo, and tweeted. There she is, and there's the photo she tweeted. Not cool. Jokes about forking repos. I don't understand that, but anyway. Uh, in a sexual way, and big dongles right behind me. Well, this tweet, because it was at a conference, got sent around lots of others at the conference. And given it's that industry, an IT industry, the employers of uh, Hank, that's him looking at the camera, thought, well, this is no good. It's bringing the company into disrepute. So they fired him the next day. Well, he went online and said, I am terribly sorry if I caused offense. It wasn't a great joke. I've got a bit of a nerdy sense of humor. I admit that. But now my wife and three children are wondering, how are we going to pay the bills? Well, more righteous anger piles in as lots of people think, well, this is outrageous what this woman has done to her. So her Twitter feed was filled with these comments. Kill her. Rape her. Cut out her uterus with a knife. Wow. Interestingly, John Ronson tracks them down. So he tracks down, he tracked down Adria Richards and said, how do you feel now about what you did? I was right. I was right to do that. I was taking a stance on women in the workplace and men should not make sexual jokes in a workplace. I did the right thing. That man should have been shamed and I'm glad he was held to account. A bit strong. He also managed to track down two of those who abused her online. And how do you feel about what you said now? Well, she deserved every bit of it. Every bit of it. Wicked woman. Language is a bit stronger. Wicked woman for making the man lose his joke, his job over such a silly thing. Wow. Such meanness, such venom, and such self-righteousness at the same time. But that's how we live. Because there's a certain part of human nature which loves to make ourselves feel good by pushing other people down. There's part of human nature which delights to do that. We feel good by pushing other people down. 
It's a self-righteousness. Why are we so mean to one another and then think we can be right? Well, the Bible would say there's a problem. We've got a problem inside. The Bible calls it sin. You could call it selfishness. You could call it self-absorption turned in upon yourself. It doesn't really matter. But we have a problem. And Jesus tells this helpful story which looks at precisely this problem. Why are we so mean to one another? Well, we're going to look at two things. One, we look down on others. That's why we're mean. And then secondly, what we should do is look honestly within. Okay. Why are we mean to one another? Because we look down on others. And secondly, we should actually look within. We'll take those two because they're these two men. Jesus tells this story, and there are two men. Chapter 18 of Luke and uh, verse 9. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on others, everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus tells a story to those who are very pleased with themselves. And actually, if you read through Luke's gospel, that is the group that Jesus abuses, not abuses, that's the wrong word, Jesus attacks more than anyone else. Oh, he's got comments to make on sexual behavior, on, on how you handle money. On, but actually, the self-righteous is what he hates more than anything else when you read through Luke's gospel. So that's why Jesus is telling this story, for people who are pretty impressed with themselves and love to judge others. So Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, that is a very respectable religious man. And the other, a tax collector. That is a pretty loathed character in the culture of the time. Because if you're a tax collector, you're working with the Romans. The Romans have invaded. The Romans oppress you. You don't like that if you're a Jew in the first century. So a tax collector is an unpleasant character. Okay, That's the two men. Let's first of all then look at the Pharisee. We look down on others. That's his issue. Verse 11. Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He prays about himself. Lord, what I really want to pray about is me. I, 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 I. It's the classic party bore. You talk for a while. Enough about me. What about you? What do you want to say about me? I, 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 I. That's all. He's just completely self-absorbed and self-obsessed. And what's the guts of his prayer? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. It's uh, something like 56% of the UK population now, I think it is, believe in a God of some kind. Not all would pray to God, but 100% at some point have this attitude. I'm better than him. Thank goodness I'm better than her. That's the issue. Now, look at his list. I mean, I'm not going to knock his list. It is good not to be a robber. It is good not to be an evildoer or an adulterer. Those are good things to not be. But it's not a particularly high bar to leap over. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't collaborate with the enemy. Therefore, I'm morally brilliant. It's not a particularly high bar. He actually sets himself. But the issue is, it's comparison, isn't it? I'm not like him or him or her Therefore, I'm a good bloke. I'm a good person. Now, there is something within the human heart that cannot resist dividing the world into us and them. 
And sometimes it's fairly innocent. It's kind of innocent on the football terraces. You know, there's, there's us and there's them. And we are the good people and they are the bad people. Although if you're a football match attender, you know the songs are a little stronger than that. When I go to Stamford Bridge, they don't tend to sing, those people over there are the bad people. It's a little, a little more strongly put uh, than that generally. But you know, and in one sense, most of the time, it's kind of good natured, kind of, depends how much people have had to drink. But you get that, it's just human nature to divide. Uh, some of you find that in your places of work. We work for this company, and that company over there are rubbish. We are the good ones, they're the bad ones. It's kind of, it's somewhat inherent to human nature. But when it becomes serious is uh, when you go a little further down the path, a little more sinister. We're superior to them. Therefore, we must separate ourselves from them. And actually, we have the right to oppress them. That's when it gets serious in human history. Superior, not good. Divide, separate off from them, even worse, suppress. Violently, on occasions, do that. And I guess you see that on this weekend. Now, this sort of uh, looking down can take place in different arenas, of course. You, you do get it in religious systems. Yeah, you've got to acknowledge that. The Pharisee is a religious man and says, I am better than him. I am more moral than him. And you do get that. I mean, I'd be, you've got to admit it. Some Christians are like that. Look at us in the church, and we are better than them outside. And they're sort of moral prigs, and no one really likes spending time with those sort of people. But that, you know, you do get it in a Christian church, but there's hopefully about the extent of it. A bit worse in other places around the globe. So Burma. Burma's just had its first free elections. Wonderful. That's good. Well... It's, it's good if you're a Buddhist, because you're in the majority. If you're part of the Rohingya group, Muslims, you don't get to put anyone up to stand. You're, you're not allowed to stand, because it's a segregated society, and the majority dominate and persecute the minority. That's less good. And then, of course, in a religious sense, it reaches its nadir. You see the very worst of it in Islamic State, or so-called Islamic State. Because then you divide the world very simply. Muslim, kafir. And you join us, or you die. Now that's it, it's the very worst, isn't it? That sense of superior, separate, persecute. Oh yeah, you get it in those sort of systems, it's true. But you get it politically as well, politically looking down upon others. You, you, you see it, of course, in the secular creeds of the 20th century, in a Russian communism, or Chinese communism, or German uh, fascism, that's uh, we're superior to this race, we separate, we destroy. So it doesn't have, you know, it can happen in politics as well, of course. Wonderfully, we don't have that level of rancor or divisiveness today. Well... We don't have the level of violence today, but the anger. We're a pretty divided culture, politically. I am um, uh, general election this year in uh, May 2015. I, I scribbled down a number of things that were said the day after the general election uh, on the 8th of May. Here are uh, some of the treats that Twitter threw up. Now, I know Twitter isn't representative. Uh, people often say nutty things on it, but uh, here are just some of the things that get 
thrown up. So uh, I don't know if we've got them as well. So here's one. Poor J.K. Rowling, often taking abuse. She was told this, 8th of May. Go yourself, you disgusting labor cow. You Blairite scum ruin this country. Really? Really? Others were less pleased with the result. This was uh, from The Guardian, comments page. The Tories are obvious, lying, self-serving, who generally don't do a good job of hiding the fact that they're on their own grandparents if they thought it would make a profit. Really? That really, I don't, you might not like David Cameron's politics. I don't think he'd go about that. Or uh, another one, welcome to Mordor. Wake up to your worst nightmare as this country comes under the reign of Sauron. <laughs> really? Really? Why would you write that? What is it? Why, why such rancor? Why such anger? Why such meanness? Oh, because you can just throw it out there. You're not really accountable. No one really sees who does it. It's just like being at the back of the crowd and throwing your rotten tomato. You get away with it. You, no one holds you to account. So you reveal kind of what you're like, deep within. But don't mishear me, I'm no cheerleader for any political party, but politics is a classic case of us and them. And we're the good guys, and they are wicked. I could go on, I decided not to. But in, actually, the journalists aren't always a huge amount better than those commenting on Twitter. Just one or two articles of the last month attacking Jeremy Corbyn in broadsheets. Appalling, really. One or two of those attacking George Osborne. Again, this strength of the language amongst paid journalists. It's us and them. Us and them. It's very human to do that. So you might get it in a religious system, you might get it in a political system, but in one sense, it's all manifestations of the same thing. We like to look down on someone else because then it makes us feel better. We like to morally look down. So uh, last year we had uh, uh, Phil Chowder come and uh, 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 speak at one of the dinners. Some would remember he was chaplain at Brixton Prison. And it's intriguing when you chat to him. He said there's a hierarchy in the prison. And every prison has it. So morally, at the top of the chain, they're the armed robbers because they're clever, brainy people. You've got to be kind of thoughtful and have a master plan to do something like that. So the armed robbers, they look down on the drug dealers, not as impressive. They look down upon the common thieves. They look down on the murderers who look down on the rapists, who look down on the paedophiles, who've got no one to look down upon to say they're misunderstood. So you get that sort of hierarchy in every prison. Yeah, all right, I may be in prison, but I'm not that bad. I just got caught. This guy is bad. Really? But then we all do that instinctively. We all have some sort of moralometer within our hearts. Ooh, and we sort of define people into different categories. It's sort of, uh, we may get to see it. Uh, a little view of our moralometer. There it is. So it all, I mean, it'll be different. We may have different categories, but it looks a little bit like this. So we know that at one end, the paedophiles, they're, they're really wicked and, and rapists are appalling and murderers and bank robbers and, Tax avoiders, well, we don't really like them. Obviously, they're not as bad. Adulterers, well, everyone makes mistakes. Angry, well, that's just human nature. Selfishness, well, that's good, isn't it? 
I'm sure I've read somewhere that it's good to be selfish uh, and lustful, but that's just human nature. You know, I can't stop myself. That's how it is. Now, we all have these different categories, and all of us instinctively will say, where am I going to draw the line and say good people, bad people? Well, I don't know, you take your pick. Let's say tax avoiders. Let's put them, because I don't like them, Um, so let's put them in the bad. So we have the line between them and the adulterers. And uh, everything to the, as you're looking at it, everything that side, I get confused left and right, everything that side of the line, the paedophiles around a tax avoiders, they're bad people. And everything this side of the line, they're just good people who occasionally do bad things. And that's how we think most of the time. Or I think that's how our culture often thinks. And certainly when we do something wrong, we're not a bad person. We're a good person who's just made a mistake. Yeah, those at Brixton Prison would say much the same. Not bad people. All of us can find someone who's worse than us. And we say they're bad because it makes us feel good. One funny phenomenon of this is, actually, uh, there's loads of research to suggest humans don't like real do-gooders. We just don't like them. Uh, this first was uh, done, it was uh, about four years ago, some research in uh, Washington State University was the, the most thorough bit of research. They did a big project, you can read about it online, uh, a study they published called The Desire Within Us to expel unselfish members from the group. It's a catchy title, that's why you've not heard of it. But the point is they had, over a number of years, had people working in teams, and after a period of time, they got, had to vote someone out of the team. And consistently, the person who always got voted off was the kind, selfless person who took on the most unpleasant tasks who did the things that no one else wanted to do, consistently, they're voted off. Uh, And the researchers at the end say, what is this? They're good, they're useful, they're kind of the most useful people in the group. Why do you get rid of them? And the conclusion is, well, actually, as humans, we like heroes, one-off heroes. So we like the woman who runs into a burning building and pulls a baby and saves its life. That's good. Uh, And we like a guy who uh, finds himself on a train and grapples with a gunman and wrestles him to the ground and uh, and says, oh, I just happened to be there. And we like that. They're good front page stories. We like it because we think, I probably would have done the same (laughs) had I been there. And we like them because they say, aren't humans great? There are some nasty people, but really we're all great as humans, aren't we? So we like one-off heroes. What we don't like are the relentless do-gooders who consistently, day in, day out, week in, week out, live a more virtuous life than us, who give away all their possessions and sacrifice their life for others. We don't like them because they're like a constant moral rebuke to us. They're constantly saying, Yes, you think you're a good person, but you're not actually as good as me. They don't say the words, but that's what we feel. Another book came out this summer, Jenny Russell, Strangers Drowning, makes exactly the same point. We like the hero. We don't like good people. We vote them off. Because when they're gone, phew, do-good is gone. Now, I'm probably the most moral person around, aren't I? It's amazing. That lies within human nature, that we do that. Why are we so mean to one another? 
because we turn in on ourselves. We're self-absorbed and enables us to look down on others. Look down on others, we feel good at their expense. Enables us to say, I'm a good person. Just occasionally do something a bit wrong. So we look down on others, that's why we're so mean. So instead of that, well, instead of that, we need to honestly look within. And let's look at the second character, the tax collector. Verse 13 of uh, chapter 18 in Luke. We need to honestly look within. The tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's a bloke who recognizes he's got a problem. He doesn't actually go to the temple to pray. He just thinks, I can't go there. I don't deserve to go there. He looks down. He's not sort of puffed chest looking out. Look at me. He just looks down. He's downcast. And crucially, what he prays, he prays, God, have mercy on me. No comparison. Doesn't say, I'm a tax collector and people in the society don't like me, but at least I make a valuable contribution. I do a useful job. I perform a service. Unlike the robbers over there, unlike the adulterers. He could look down on the robbers and adulterers. He doesn't do that. He just looks within and says, oh, I need mercy. I need God to be kind, not treat me as I deserve, but be kinder to me than that. He knows he's got a problem. He literally says, I don't know why it's translated differently, but God have mercy on me, the sinner. The sinner. Again, you see, he's saying, not that I'm bad, but so is everyone else, and I'm not as bad to others. I'm the sinner. I'm the one who has a problem. He says, Please don't treat me as I deserve. There's honesty with him. And the Bible would say, look, if we're to understand how we relate to one another, we need, we, need an, we need an appointment with honesty, both for humanity in general and personally. Just briefly, let me comment on those. For humanity in general. Are humans good people? Well, it depends who you ask. I was struck recently, I read uh, over the summer, uh, John Gray, uh, his book, um, a silence of animals. And John Gray would describe himself as an atheist. He's a philosopher, writes lots of books, so obviously, you know, but uh, uh, no Christian, no religious man with a religious worldview. And he says, now what do we do with evil? What do we do with the sort of the fact that humans are bad to one another? He said, well, as far as I can tell, there are two responses broadly in the UK. There's the Christian myth, that's what he calls it, the Christian myth, which says that we're all evil because we're fallen, and we've rejected God, and that's why we're evil. He said, but then there's the secular myth that humans are getting better year on year. The myth of progress morally. He said, and you could take your pick. He said, but if I had to choose one as an atheist, I'd go for the Christian myth. Because empirically, it makes, there's just more evidence. He says that the myth that humans are improving year on year is ridiculous. See, people get a category confusion. They say, well, look at science and technology. It's getting better and better. Well, yeah, because you make a scientific breakthrough and then it's recorded and published and people build on it and build on it. And there's a technological breakthrough and someone makes the processor and then someone makes a 
bigger processor or smaller processor or whichever way around it goes. And uh, there's sort of developments. And yeah, so technologically, we're improving all the time and our, our scientific understanding is improving all the time. Is, is that really true morally? Politics and ethics deal with recurring human issues. So he says, uh, John Gray, let me give you two examples. Slavery. This is wonderfully, in the, wonderfully. Uh, the, the UK was at the forefront of, uh, uh, of um, uh, stopping the slave trade, kind of unstarting it, but anyway, stopping the slave trade, uh, William Wilberforce, wonderful. And so we eradicated slavery, didn't we? No, we didn't. We just call it a different name now. We call it human trafficking. And it still takes place. And you can still pay 10,000 euros to be smuggled into this country or get people smuggled into this country. Happens all the time. Have we made progress? No, the same issues around. Well, let me give you another example, he says. Torture. Wonderfully, uh, by our human rights conventions, torture has been eradicated, hasn't it? Because that was a wicked thing that used to take place. Or has it? Again, we just change its name. We call it enhanced interrogation. And it still takes place. Jesus, really? Don't get the category. Yes, technologically we're improving all the time. Morally, don't be ridiculous. If I had to choose between the Christian myth and the myth of human progress, there is more evidence for the Christian myth, he says, as an atheist, which is an odd position for him to take. Humanity is not getting better. But what about personally? I read something interesting. Uh, it was an insurance bit of research done by insurance industry. Two-thirds of adults in the UK admit to committing minor fraud. Two-thirds. That is, you know, paying a workman cash to avoid tax. It is padding an insurance claim. It is uh, cheating on your tax return. Two-thirds of the UK population say, yeah, I've done that. It was research carried out by uh, Keele University. And... Um, through in this interesting stat, the burglary in the UK cost 2.7 billion to the economy. 2.7. Middle class fraud cost the economy 13 billion. Got to stop those wicked burglars. But given that they've nicked my stuff, let me just add one or two things to the list just to compensate. And uh, the report commented of those 66% who admitted committing fraud, not one was willing to call themselves a criminal. Even though, by any legal definition, that's what they are. Because see, as people, we're not, we're not bad people. Now, criminals are bad people, and I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. I just, you know, just do a little thing, a little, you know, everyone does it. So it's not, it doesn't make you bad if you break the law in a way that everyone does. Just for, you know, a few, a few quid for an extra laptop on the insurance claim. I decided to try this theory out over the summer. And it wasn't a plan, actually. It just happened this way. Uh, we're a, a, a large-ish family gathering, sort of wider family. And a whole number of people there. And uh, one relative uh, started boasting about the fact that there'd been some sort of stain on their carpet. And they put an in, uh, in, just in the bedroom, they'd put an insurance claim and got all the carpets in the whole of the house. 
uh, restored on this one insurance claim and say how wonderful this was and everyone should do the same. Uh, and so I was a little surprised at this approach. I said, oh, I'm a bit disappointed you've stolen from me, auntie. What do you, what do you mean? Well, you cheat, you get money, my insurance premiums go up. So that's money you've stolen from me, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, that is a slightly incendiary comment, isn't it? But I just wanted to <laughs> do a little bit of analysis of human nature. Unsurprisingly, I guess, her response, how dare you? I kept going. <laughs> so you've broken the law in a way that costs me money. What part of my definition of you is inaccurate as stealing? How dare you? I'm terribly sorry. I decided to retreat. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm terribly sorry. Uh, none, of us are gr- none of us are good people, really. You know, all of us are flawed, aren't we? I'm not, she said. You might be. I'm a good person. Now, she's a very sweet woman, terrific relative, and I think she's just typical of the majority of our population. According to this research, two-thirds at least would hold the same view. Can we just be honest? Why can't we be honest? We're not good people who occasionally do something a little bit naughty. The Bible says we're flawed. We have an issue within us. Sin or selfishness or self-absorption turned in on ourselves. We want to divide the world into good people like us and bad people like them. And it's not easy. Well, it's quite a famous quote by uh, uh, the Russian Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Um, He puts it this way, if only it were so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessarily Excuse me, it was necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who's willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Can you be that honest? As honest as he is? Helps you face life with integrity, actually. When you admit, hey, that's true of all of us. It lies within all of us. Why are we so mean to one another? We have a sickness within. And actually, the same sickness that emails a girl's website to say you're disgustingly ugly, it's the same sickness of the heart that causes a man to pick up a Kalashnikov rifle and fire it into a crowd. It's the same sickness. It's just been planted in two different soils. It's a sickness we all have in our hearts. In one case, it's been planted in a, a, a Western worldview built up by Christianity where there's a certain level of moral restraint. In another sense, the same heart has been planted in an Islamic extremist worldview and therefore has been able to bloom into full wickedness. But it's the same evil within all of us, Jesus would say. It's sin. The capacity for evil lies within us all. How do we get out of this mess? 
Jesus commends the tax collector. The tax collector stood at a distance, verse 13. He stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. What does this guy get so right? He says, God, have mercy on me. I deserve nothing but you from you but your judgment for the evil in my heart. But I'm asking for mercy. Literally, again, it's a funny word he uses for mercy. You could translate it mercy. That's, that's absolutely fine. You could easily, equally translate it, God, make atonement for me. Can you put me right? Can you put me right with you? I can't, says this man. I need you to do it. Can you make atonement for me? And a few chapters later in Luke's gospel, you'll read Jesus doing just that. Because when he dies upon the cross, Jesus becomes the sinner. The sinner. Who takes judgment upon himself so you and I can be acceptable before God. We can be forgiven for all the evil that lies within. See, the Christian, the Christian is someone who can have an honest look at their heart and say, I've got a problem. Within my heart is good. And within my heart is evil. And I thank you, Lord, that I've been brought up in the West in many senses. And and, and therefore, there are moral restraints and societal restraints and parental restraints upon my heart. So I've never let it go to full wickedness. But I know there's wickedness within. I know that. And I know I need Jesus to do something about that. To pay for my wickedness and then to change me. Now, if you know that, if you know that, that is a truth that humbles you. You can't be proud if you know that. You can't say, us, good, them, bad. You sit, on, you sit there and say, me, bad. I'm good, and I'm bad, and I need someone to have mercy on me. Why are we so mean to one another? Oh, the capacity for shaming, for meanness, is within us all. Can you be honest with that? The Bible is the only place you can turn to which enables you to be honest. And be forgiven to have the problem dealt with. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, here's a truth that at first pass we don't like. None of us like to be reminded or told that we're not good people who occasionally make mistakes but that we're utterly confused people morally. We do good things and bad things, and the capacity for wickedness is within all of us, given the right circumstances. But Father, while we don't like it initially, actually that's a liberating truth, because we can be honest. When we're confronted in our own lives with the bad things we do, we don't need to pretend we can say, yeah, I am. I am at times very unpleasant. We can be honest because we know forgiveness also in Jesus Christ. So will we be those who don't have to pretend, who don't look down upon others and mock them and belittle them and oppress them because we need to justify ourselves. But we'll be those who know we're, we have a problem 
but that in Jesus is the most wonderful solution. And we pray it in his name. Amen.